2: What's up on a Tuesday? I'm Brian Scott Rippy. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Rippy Rights podcast. We got Weldon Rodenberg back in the co-host chair, checking in with him two weeks into camp as the Rebels enter their final week of camp before school starts. Chatted a little bit about the scrimmage over the weekend, quarterback stuff, traction in the quarterback race, or lack thereof. Chris Partridge is recruiting to the Northeast and a whole lot more. And, of course, capped the show off. With a tremendous soccer corner. Um, I don't know if Weldon would describe it as that, but the Brentford Bees just go destroy a once proud club, Man United, four to nothing over the weekend there in England. Just a disgraceful day on the pitch for a once proud club. So we let Weldon vent a little bit and then took a look at the EPL after uh, two matches. So a lot of stuff in this podcast. I think you'll enjoy it. Buckle up as we inch closer to football season. But before we get to that, I wanted to remind you podcast is brought to you by MIMS Insurance. Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. He's going to help you find the best rate possible. Everything is expensive right now. Gas is expensive. Food's expensive. Everything. Inflation's at an all-time high. Not a political pod. just a fact of life. You don't need to settle and lose further money and leave money on the table when it comes to your insurance. Matt Mims is an independent insurance agent based in Oxford. His whole job is you call him. He shops your quote around whatever it is you need insured. House, car, boat. If it's a boat, congrats on your boat. That's pretty sick. Anything you need insured, you tell him. He shops around to 10 different agencies, finds the best price, finds the best fit for you, and boom, job's done. Takes the hassle out of insurance. He's helped so many people across the state of Mississippi. Operations are booming. He just got a little bit of help hired another agent over there in, the, uh, in Vicksburg. Things are exploding because people trust Matt Mims. And you should, too. He's a good friend of mine. I wouldn't send you to someone I don't trust, wouldn't do business with someone I don't trust. He's going to make getting things insured easy for you. All you have to do is call him at 601-218-7854. That's 601-218-7854. That's his cell phone number. Answers all the time. That is not some, uh, you know, automated line he's going to pick up and he's going to help you out. Tell him I sent you. He will get you hooked up. That is MIMS Insurance there in, based in Oxford, but all across the state of Mississippi. His reach is from the coast all the way up into the Memphis area. He can help you out. Whatever you may need, go check him out. MIMS Insurance there in Oxford. Podcast is also brought to you by Skybox Sports Picks. Who is Skybox Sports Picks? Well, glad you asked. They're the world's best gambling handicapping website. The inventors of the Skybox Matrix interval an advanced modeling mechanism that has helped propel Skybox to the top of the sports handicapping industry you need to check these guys out they're the best in the business football season is right around the corner don't lose money this year go on right online right now buy the season pass for both the nfl and college football and profit with skybox make this one an actual fun one get a little expendable income going over the next couple months because they're going to lead you to profit more consistently than yourself your own brain or anyone else in the industry you will lose money in the long run unless you go with skybox it's pretty much. That simple. They hit it 60% on the NFL last year. They're absolutely crushing it in NASCAR. They went plus 34.85 units in a weekend in NASCAR, including a plus 2,500 outright winner a couple weeks ago. Mark Harris and the guys at Skybox NASCAR are crushing it. And pretty soon, for Skybox customers, NASCAR is about to come free, become free, just a free part of you signing up. How about that? Free 34-unit weekends on deck for you in the future. They're the best in the business. You need to go to skyboxsportspicks.com check out the picks package, find the best one that fits your price range, you can try it for a day, week, month, all sports, particular sport. I'd recommend just going with the year-long all access pass. It's going to pay for itself and then some. And then boom, you're on the way to watching sports and profiting for a change and not having the bookie text you on Sunday night asking you to square up, adding to your Sunday scaries. You have a couple more days, so through August 17th, you can any if you buy a picks package on the site. If you buy the football package or the or excuse me, if you buy the NASCAR package through August seventeenth, which it's about to be free, so only a couple of days left on that one, you will be entered into a chance to win the NFL and NCAA four week package for free. So you're going to get a month of NCAA and NFL picks if you're selected in this drawing for free. So before Skybox NASCAR becomes free to the people, you can buy a short four week pass probably get reimbursed on that and then entered into a drawing to win the NFL and NCAA football packages. Check them out. They're still running the code Natty for 50% off and the Rippy code R-I-P-P-E-E gets you 20% off. Go check them out. If you have any questions, tolerate me. They're the best in the business. Skybox Sports Picks. All right. Here is Weldon Rotenberg. All right. We're now welcome on Rippy Wright's football correspondent, former Ole Miss recruiting specialist, Weldon Rodenberg we got a bunch to talk about I think it's been right around two weeks since we last spoke Ole Miss a couple weeks into camp um I was reading Neil's notebook today I think this is actually their last week of camp because school so they'll have like two I guess game-ish week type practice things but their last week of camp so I guess you could say it's flown by maybe I just haven't been paying enough uh, attention but a lot going on and then a lot to talk about uh, across the pond on the pitch as well so we we got a packed show as we uh Kind of start uh, picking up speed here toward uh, football and football season. What's up?
3: Oh, not too much. Yeah, I mean, I think technically some of those week zero games are starting next weekend. Yeah. Not this upcoming weekend, the next. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's happening. It's, it's definitely here, and fall camp's halfway through. For some, it's almost over. So, I mean, we're getting into it big time.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, like, there's sounds like there's some traction being made at some different spots uh, regarding quarterback and everything else, and we'll get into all that. You know, one random anecdote, Um, I was interviewing Brody Miller for, like, an old Miss opponent preview thing that, uh, as people are listening to this, may already be out or will be out kind of after this podcast. But with LSU being as weird as they are, I just completely omitted the fact that LSU and Florida State are the Sunday night game in New Orleans in yep. the Dome Labor Day weekend – like, I get there's not a whole lot of, like, top 25 kind of star power in that sense, but that'll be a fascinating game for some, like, weird reasons. I don't know anything about either one of those teams. Like, the ACC might as well be dead to me. I didn't know Florida State was still fielding a team after all that, but, like, I just kind of happened. That's going to be a good show, and I, that'll be a nice little uh, intro to the Brian Kelly era.
3: It's a great storyline game. I'm not sure any of those teams are any good. Um, In fact, I'd be willing to say I don't think either of them will be great. Uh, But, I mean, you've got Norvell, who has just destroyed the quarterback room at Florida State. I mean, he has just not been able to get that right. Is this the year they figure it out? Are they going to take any sort of step in the right direction? He's actually been recruiting better for their standards over the past few years. Um, and then, obviously, LSU new year. Brian Kelly. They have as many transfer transfer portal kids as Ole Miss does. Who, who's the starting quarterback? Obviously, I think you. If you didn't see today, Brandon just Miles Brandon just quit football, uh, which is kind of an interesting deal. But um, that's a bummer. It's, it's a it really is a bummer for him. I mean, he has been there for six years, and he got three games of a COVID season, and then a crazy hip injury, and that was it. Um, I and mean, he has been competing for that job for so long. And then, you know, Kelly asked him to stay and come back. And I know some people would think that was shitty of him to do that and then go recruit a quarterback. But at the end of the day, it's Kelly's job to, you know, field the best team possible. And he, he probably thought Brennan was definitely someone who could compete for that job. Um, So that stinks. But figuring out who the quarterback is for them and then kind of mixing and matching a bunch of these transfers that they've got in. Uh, I mean, what I've read and heard is they've got two transfers starting on the offensive line. They might have three transfers starting in the back end of that team. Uh, um, the best uh, football product, but in terms of storylines, that's going to be up there with one of the more interesting games to start the year.
2: It really is, and it's uh, it's creeping up, like you mentioned. And so, uh, that's probably a great place to start with Ole Miss. They had their first real scrimmage on saturday afternoon um i think it was actually open to the public as well um kiffin made a nice little snide comment or i got kyle campbell about uh we just did that because kyle wanted to and we have to be nice to the fans or something like that i don't think he was thrilled about having it open to the public but what are you going to do but it was kind of you know as as close as you can come to kind of the old-fashioned you know, dead middle of camp where you really kind of get after it. Like, whatever version of that exists in 2022, it sounds like that's what that was. They went for about 90 minutes. They tackled the entire time. Um, Just kind of catching – really? Yeah. From, that, from
3: start to finish?
2: Yeah, Kiffin said they uh, – he said, quote, we tackled the entire time, which is rare for us, which I made a note of yeah. that because I thought it was interesting. I think he just kind of wanted them to get after it. Obviously, you're not hitting quarterbacks or whatever, but I think they kind of – got after it for pretty much the entire time. Um, just kind of rolling through some notes from the press conferences and stuff on Saturday and reading Neil and Chase's coverage, because obviously you and I weren't there. Uh, I was actually back in Dallas trying to get this moving situation under control. But it sounds like, one, the defense probably kind of won the day. The defensive line seemed pretty dominant. I guess before, we, to, this like a little palate cleanser for the quarterback piece of this, what do you make of the defensive line – being the story of the day in that sense where it seemed like they kind of dominated because one Ole Miss does have kind of the most defensive line depth and a lot of pretty good pieces there, you know, than they've had in a while, certainly in the Kiffin era. On the other side of that, you thought you had a pretty good offensive line. Uh, Mason Brooks went out with an injury broker. Didn't really play apparently, but like, what do you make anything of that at all? Some of that's obviously going to be on the quarterbacks. I, I don't know what to make of it really.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think this is the be- one of the better defensive line groups they've had in a while there in terms of depth. I mean, they've had the superstar players in the past, you know, Sam Williams, Kandichi, Marquise Haynes. But in terms of seven, eight guys that they feel can play winning SEC football, this is one of the better ones they've had. And I guess this spring and fall is kind of some of these newer guys and some of the veterans proving it. And clearly, it sounds like that's what they did on Saturday. I will say it does seem that, especially in the first scrimmage, the defense always has some sort of advantage. You know, of course, these things are script. You're kind of rotating in guys on offense, and it sounds like Broker didn't play. Brooks went down, so I'm not going to put too much into that story. But it is good a good sign because that has definitely been a issue for Ole Miss in the past. That that's a something that you know Kiffin doesn't really coach speak a whole lot. So if him and the other coaches are giving him praise, I think it's for a good reason.
2: You've been around, um, you know, a program or two, a program a couple of years during camp. I don't know why I said that so weird. I don't remember if you ever actually part of a, I guess you were kind of part of a quarterback, like it wasn't a battle because it didn't really happen until, um, you know, end of the season when Corral got hurt. But I yeah. guess just from your experience or just kind of being around it, I was talking to Buchanan on Thursday about this, and he mentioned, like, one, like you said, the defense is always going to have the advantage because, one, it's scripted. Two, they know it's coming. They jump stuff they normally wouldn't jump. It's just kind of a a shit show from that standpoint. And, look, whatever. It's it's part of kind of how it goes. But in terms of, like, a quarterback battle, is it – I imagine that makes it difficult to tell and gain any real traction because the – like. It seems like most of these are decided on raw ability versus like what is actually done in these scrimmages, just because it's so difficult to tell. Like I'll use this example, Buchanan and Chad Kelly were get like doing this thing in 2015 and like Buchanan kind of mentioned that he didn't really feel like he was ever behind any of these scrimmages because it's just, it's so difficult to consistently move the ball. You don't really have much cohesiveness with your receivers, whether you're working with the ones and the twos, is huge because apparently the way freeze did it, if you were the twos on offense, that meant you were going against the number one defense a lot of the time. That doesn't seem fair. But my point in all of this is, is Buchanan (laughs) kind of felt like the separation was where Kelly would make a couple of throws in practice where he's like, I just got to tip my hat to that guy. I don't have that in me. I don't have that, you know, that type of ability, as talented as Buchanan was in all actuality, as we go through this process, do you think that's where most of this is decided is just like kind of Who has more raw ability, more so who's better day in and day out in camp? Because it's just kind of hard to tell with the minutiae.
3: I think there's portions of what the coaches will look into um, and the raw ability and the playmaking ability kind of on the run, on the scramble, and some of these scrimmage environments is definitely one of those. I do think that having new coaches, new offensive coordinator, new receivers, new running backs, some new offensive line pieces, one of the biggest aspects will be which quarterback – in these scrimmage settings, can get everyone where they need to be and make the right decisions. Um, I heard Neil and Chase talking about a lot of guys being ro- lined up incorrectly. What you want to see is your quarterback fixing it, right. not necessarily you know D. Nick's out there, uh, like literally hands on Dennis Jackson's hips, putting him where he needs to be. Who you want to see new, the quarterback. By the way, that's not great. Yeah, um, <laughs> and you want to see the quarterbacks doing that and then making the correct reads, whether that's. You know, sometimes that read is, you know, take the deep shot. Sometimes that read is go through your progressions, take the check down, depending on what the defense is playing. They script these plays up for a reason. They want to see what you can do. Um, And, yeah, eventually raw talent will win out if you have to kind of make a play on the fly when things break down, bad snaps, or whatever happens in scrimmages, which is, you know, there's tons of shit that just happens in scrimmages. Uh, but I would imagine Lane and Charlie would be like, okay, if these guys aren't separating that much from the production, I'd like to see them separate from their knowledge of what they need to be doing. And obviously I wasn't there. That's it's still probably impossible for me to tell, even if I was there, cause that's not an expertise of mine, but it's something that I think will be very, very important for these guys in terms of trust um, over just straight talent.
2: Yeah, and I worded that in a strange way. I, that's what I was kind of getting at. I know what here. you mean. Yeah, I know like what you if mean. If all things remain equal, where it doesn't sound like it may be privately, because again, this is all just public facing, and you know, going off what Neil and Chase and the rest of the local media contingent can see. But you know, as as you know, as football savvy and smart as some of them may be, it's not the same as you know being on the coaching staff. So I guess what I'm saying is like so all this is just public facing, they may have a hell of a lot better idea internally of kind of who's leading this thing and who is it? What I but yeah, what I was kind of getting at is like if all things remain equal and they're, you know, taking what they say at face value, like at the end of camp, do you just kind of go with the guy with a little bit more ability? And I think that would be Dart, right? You know, he can kind of make some plays outside of structure, even though that sounds like throughout camp where he's been the most um unpolished and unpoised in terms of his decision making. Like I just wonder if that's the way they'll end up going. It's a fascinating dynamic because I do think this is a real battle. And I don't think Altmaier's been bad from the sounds of it. It sounds like he's just been indecisive. They've both been indecisive in some degree, but Altmaier, they're just trying to pull a little bit more aggression out of him. And I don't, I don't know how you do that. Like, how do you pull more aggression out of a guy? Like, it, it, in some ways, he just kind of is what he is at some point, right? Like, you can't really force a dude to not be himself. Like, how much can you pull out of a guy in terms of aggression? Because I imagine most of the time, it's actually the other way. It's like, hey, tone this down.
3: Right. I think it's tough. I mean... It sounds like Luke is playing from a position of strength where he thinks he's got the job or he's really, really close and doesn't want to lose it. He wants to go out there and play safe, make the correct, you know, easy throws and kind of coast along and kind of let the battle just fall into his lap. Whereas Dart is out there showing, Hey, this is what I can do. This is what I can be. Yeah. there might need me to rain it, rain it back a little bit, but Like, this could be the potential of this offense if I'm in it. And, I mean, it. I don't know what their goal is between the two. I know the whole story is Dart ran it back, Luke push it a little bit more forward. Um, But I think you're right. If that kind of push and shove doesn't happen, you're probably going to have to go with the guy with the most upside, which is Dart. And I think from what I've heard, he showed some of that in the scrimmage, definitely a little bit more than Luke did.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, there were some unofficial stats out there, and it, it was kind of told the exact same story that we've just been discuss- discussing. Like, Luke Altmyer wasn't bad, but Altmeier, uh excuse me, Jackson Dart had the better day. So I don't really know what you make of that. They're going to have another scrimmage next Saturday. It's just one, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But, like, I just wonder, you know, we mentioned it's technically the last week of camp. I know they've got two more weeks of practice. But I just, like, I thought maybe Saturday would be the point where you hit where you kind of get some separation. I thought that might be one of those moments. And, you know, reading it while Saturday kind of checked out, I thought, okay, it sounded like Dart might have done what I was thinking. But then watching Kiffin's press conference, I mean, he complicated Kincaid Dent more than anyone else. So it doesn't sound like that was necessarily the case. Maybe we're making this too complicated. Maybe Kincaid Dent is the leader in the clubhouse and they're just going to pull a fast one on everybody. But I don't know about you. I thought him complimenting Kincaid Dent was probably – in some ways, um, not a dig, but to s- apathetic towards the other two. I think that was maybe rooted in that more so than anything else.
3: Yeah, basically it's just anything in our, at least what I'm going to portray publicly um, because, you know, Dent's not going to be the quarterback. I, I, that's, that's not happening. It's It's between one of the other two and clearly, Despite any of what, you know, those that were there in the public viewing saw, Kiffin was not overly ecstatic with what what either one of them did. And he's, you know, he's been complimentary at times and he's done what he did on Saturday at times. So he's going to tell you the truth, at least to an extent. And clearly um, he wasn't overly excited with what either one of them has shown so far. Uh, I do think it will be interesting. I just don't see this going into the season. I don't think Kiffin wants that. I don't think the coaching staff wants that. And usually that's just not a good vibe for your team entirely. But it will be interesting to see if he maybe makes that decision earlier than you'd expect and see how he responds. Like, you know what, Dart, we're going to give it to you. Or, Luke, we're going to give it to you. Now let's kind of see – what what we get out of that, um, because that could p- possibly if he has an idea in the back of his mind what he wants to do already, which no one really knows. But let's say he does, if he just goes with his gut, it's pretty good with quarterbacks in the past. I don't expect that to change. Maybe that's that decision that you know, kind of defining of roles will make one of the quarterbacks finally realize we've got this. The pressure's off. Now I can just play. I will think that'll be interesting to see. Maybe after the next scrimmage, he decides, you know, this is what I want to do. I think that'll be interesting uh, because I know he doesn't want to go in the season with it.
2: And it's fascinating in this modern day and age of college football, a lot of times when you have a battle in camp, the guy that ends up losing it ends up elsewhere. I mean, you kind of saw it with Will Levis last year, um, going from Penn State to Kentucky, and he just kind of showed up to a place where he could play. I don't know anything about either one of these guys in terms of that. Obviously, Dart can't really go anywhere, so I guess really the only hypothetical here is, and I'm getting, we're, I'm just asking you to speculate 100%. I don't get the sense that just say if Jackson Dart wins the job, do you think Luke Altmeyer pieces immediately because? With the way it's going so far, it doesn't sound like whoever wins the job has a long leash at all. So it might not be set by any stretch of the imagination, but that has kind of become somewhat of a common practice in quarterback battles with this, you know, transfer window and all that. Do you get the same sense?
3: I think it's an interesting point. Um, I don't get the sense that he would transfer immediately, but I also don't get the sense that whoever gets the starting job is going to have a short leash. Really, I uh, think you saw with you saw with Corral against Arkansas, and Kiffin's kind of said it a few times. Like you, you can really mess with a quarterback's psyche if you pull him after a few mistakes when he hasn't solidified his job. I think once Kiffin makes this decision, it will be damn near final. You know, Sands' injury. Um, and I think Luke, I mean, he's in this battle. Like, if he ends up not being it or Dart, same thing. But his is a little different because he just used his transfer. So, we're going to go with the assumption Dart starts and Luke doesn't get it. Right, because uh,
2: if it's vice versa, I don't think Dart can go anywhere. No, I don't. I, I'm missing I, no some rule change in the last week. Like, he's he's locked in.
3: Yeah, they haven't passed that all transfer rule yet. So, we're just going to go for sake of conversation that Dart wins it and Luke, Luke does not. Um, I think Luke – does not transfer at least during the season because one darts had an injury before so it's not like he's just a pristine healthy athlete fully i think he's still semi-recovering from that it was a pretty semi-serious one and two he's in this competition even if he doesn't end up winning it it's not like it's it's for a lack of trying or a lack of being in the competition if for some reason dart gets injured Luke is fully capable of going in and winning football games. I know, I mean, I know he's a good quarterback and I think Lane knows it too. So him leaving, I mean, that makes really no sense because, you know, you need two quarterbacks injuries happen all the time. Um, and then, you know, you can win the starting job that way, you know, it's Corral did it. And, you know, Plumlee somehow managed to do it, but that's, there's more to that obviously, or not obviously, but there is more to that. Um, so yeah, I don't, I don't see him leaving, uh, Because one, I I know the kid, that's just not his mindset. And I don't think it really makes sense from a career standpoint for him. Now, if dark goes and lights it up and this team wins nine, 10 games, and yeah, that's a different conversation (laughs) towards the end of the end of the year. He can go because Luke can go play at another uh, big time school, but I, I just don't see it at this point.
2: Yeah, and short leash might not have been the right way to put it. I guess what I meant is like, and again, this is the only hypothetical that works because of their two respective transfer situations. But
1: yeah, Yeah. let's make
2: that
3: that very clear. That is the only reason we're using this hypothetical.
2: Yes, because if it was the other way around, it wouldn't make any sense. But like, so that being the case, again, just say Dart wins the job. I guess what I was sort of trying to get at was there is a world where it just doesn't happen for him. Like, if he really struggles against Georgia Tech, and let's just say he throws a couple picks, Ole Miss comes out of there with the win, but no one's thinking that he did that. No one's thinking they won the game, obviously, because of the way he played. And then he goes in the next week, like, look, the way all, this Ole Miss team, seemingly as they're currently constructed, the way you lose to a Kentucky at home is by turning the football over three to four times, giving Kentucky a short field and kind of allowing Kentucky to do – of what they do play a little bit I know they're trying to open the offense up more this year with that guy they got from the Shanahan McVay tree but point being kind of you know short field possession like that's kind of how you lose to Kentucky and so while it might not be a short lease I guess I would just leave in the possibility open that like hey if Dart wins the job I think he's pretty talented they both have limited playing experience but there is a world where whoever wins it gets into the kind of the the thick of SEC play and they, they just don't have it and I think with the way the schedule sets up. If Ole Miss, some, like if Dart plays again, all just projecting hypothetical, but in this scenario, if Ole Miss can get to like five, six and 0 without their quarterback playing well, don't you think that'll still be back in the Kiffin's, Kiffin's mind as they kind of face the West in the back half? Like they could make it five and 1, six and 0, but really be handicapped by the quarterback. And like I just wonder if Kiffin would still leave that possibility open six, seven games in before that schedule really stiffens up.
3: Yeah, that's kind of the conundrum. I mean, I feel like they could be 4-0 and with me playing quarterback. I mean, yeah, that's, just how really schedule, that's just how the schedule sets up. Um, so that is that is definitely something to look at. If they they win those four games, first four games, and just, like, aren't that great at the quarterback position, it sets up two things. It's like, do we make a switch for the big game? Or, like, maybe, like, how do we make a switch when we're 4-0? and it, It's kind of a weird – situation with how it sets up and like in my opinion I mean I think this team is going to start 6-0 and whether Altmire or Dart plays but is it? yeah and now we'll I mean if we want to do the whole preseason thing we could absolutely do that um, but I it's just it'll be weird because I don't think they have to have great quarterback play but we've seen Kiffin I mean in 14 with Blake Sims like That was not a great quarterback. And of course, that's Alabama you're talking about. So the rest is a little bit different, um, but he's going to get competent play. It just really depends. Honestly, this entire season depends on how competent is that play? Because I really do think the rest of this team, um, with the exception of like maybe linebacker, is as deep and athletic as they've been in a really long time.
2: It really is. And that's what makes this dynamic fascinating. And this, as we kind of transition and hit some other positions, but like another way to look at it too, is the fact that this get like this schedule, they, this team needs this schedule, like this lined up perfectly for them. Like last year's team could have played a game, a tougher game. Like I think two or three games into the season and still been okay. Cause you had your guy quarterback. You knew a lot about what you're going to get on offense. I mean, where this team, like, they need this. Like, they don't have to be a good football team until, you know, whenever, is that Kentucky game, is that October 1st? I think that's when that is. It's October 1st, yeah. Like, they can really ease into this and figure out some of the kinks, and I think that's going to help from a chemistry standpoint because another thing that Kiffin did not mm-hmm. seem overly pleased about um, from the scrimmage was some of the receiver play. We mentioned the alignment issues. Uh, Trigg apparently uh, did not line up correct a couple of times to the point where Kiffin, like, I think, went and lined him up for him. Um, which is not, not what you want to see. I don't think he'll be allowed to do that when they play one of these that counts, but just from a sheer chemistry perspective, like that's going to help them a lot playing central Arkansas and Troy and even kind of like a pseudo test in Georgia tech. Look, if they lose Georgia tech, we're talking lose to Georgia tech. We're talking about a whole different set of expectations.
3: For this oh, team. It'll be a big problem. That's yeah, all. That will be a, <laughs> it'll big, be a big problem.
2: So, like, they they need this, and I think that's going to help them significantly to where their first—I don't want to say real game, but their first real test not being until October first is going to be, I think, a huge advantage for this team if they do come close to reaching expectations. Because quarterback inside, there's got some chemistry kinks to work out. Whether it's kind of filling in some pieces on the offensive line, I know they moved Jeremy James around a little bit. Jaden Williams apparently has had a pretty good camp. Where you yeah, got? mason brooks got a little dinged up in practice but outside of that that and receivers that first month and a half i think is going to be key and that might also lead into your point about like hey whoever they make a decision on a quarterback like that's the guy barring injury or something you know just terrible stretch of play because the chemistry aspect you can't really build that up with two dudes like you kind of need a guy so i, I hadn't thought about it from that
1: way
3: yeah and no, i mean one thing that I always kind of eventually happens with quarterback battles is the team kind of begins to rally around one and that doesn't mean that they don't support the other but you can kind of see the way they play on the field in scrimmages the way they're in practice the receivers quarterbacks running backs you can kind of see it begin to gel and I think that'll be an interesting thing to look for maybe I guess you'll probably won't have any more public scrimmages but it, it'll happen you'll see it you know with interviews the players will start speaking differently and you'll kind of know or get an inkling of where it's going, but yeah, chemistry wise, I mean, especially if they don't have receivers playing, I know Robinson has been out for a little while. Um, Trigg is still swimming in this offense and I think he's got time to fix it because he's extraordinarily talented. That is, that is undeniable, but um, getting the guys, you know, the four or five receivers that are going to play and figuring out who that's going to be, and eventually getting that timing and rhythm set up is very, very important. And they're trying to do it with two guys. That's kind of difficult, like you mentioned. Um, and then offensive line-wise, it's the same deal. You know, you're going to have those five out there. You want to be able to know the quarterback's cadence, the way they work. When you're going fast, like they will, you're going to have to all be on the same page and get ready. Because if you're going too fast, you're going to be like, Oh, this guy's not set. This guy's in that five yard penalty. And that's like the worst thing can happen. So there's definitely a lot of chemistry issues going into some of these battles that we're seeing and they're going to have to get it ironed out. And I think it's it's obviously one of the bigger questions going into the season is, are they going to be able to do it and then still play at a high level?
2: And another fascinating piece of it is like the scheme aspect. Do you think they're going to look any different offensively? Like how much of like, you know, like in terms of the grand big picture of the scheme, obviously Kiffin's tentacles and his identity are going to be in this offense, but it is a new coordinator. There's no way for us to tell the guys that are there don't report on schematics. I might make an appearance at this not open to the public scrimmage. I think I got enough connections to get a media pass. there still, hopefully. Um, But, like, how different do you think the scheme will look? I know I'm asking to answer an impossible question, but that's another aspect of this that's going to be kind of fascinating to watch through the first couple of games.
3: Yeah, I don't know how much different it's going to be. Um, I think that it will be as similar as it can be. And, I mean, obviously there will be different changes, whether it's protection-wise, whether it's, you know, verbiage-wise terminology, they'll use different stuff. But I I think they're going to try to go fast. Um, They've worked together before. You know, it's – you know, I give Levy a ton of credit, but it's not like impossible to duplicate what they do. Um, right. Now, calling it is a different kind of mindset, and that's a different deal, and we obviously don't really know who's calling it. So I'm sure they'll have some of the levy stuff, some kiffin stuff that he's used in the past. Charlie will have a huge influence on game plan and and everything like that. I don't anticipate, you know, this team going a complete 180 and like going slow and going ground and pound. I think they're going to try to still go fast, still use tempo, still be aggressive on fourth down, shot plays. Um, it, it'll be pretty similar if I had to guess, with probably, you know, they're going to have to adjust a little bit depending on quarterback play. You know, maybe they add in a few more run schemes and like really harp on that. But in the grand scheme, for just someone outside watching football, it's not – I don't anticipate it looking and seeming a whole lot different than last year.
2: Sticking on receivers for a second, a guy that's really – I say really turned some heads. That's such a stupid cliche. The guy that the coaching staff has mentioned a couple of times is having a pretty good camp and coming along nicely is J.J. Henry. Um, You were around when he was being recruited, if I'm not mistaken. What was – Yeah, I I
3: showed him the levy and and Nick's. Oh, that's
2: another one of your kids. So kind of give me the J.J. Henry eval.
3: Yeah, he was, um, he was a decently rated kid, uh, like kind of three-star, four-star-ish. Um, went to McKinney or North McKinney up near Dallas. Um, was a verified small kid. And I don't think that has changed. I think he is still definitely on the small slide side. But from his high school film, he was an incredibly advanced route runner. I mean, he really made kids look like fools out there. And he's playing really, really good Texas high school football, really good coaching, really good defensive scheme. And he was all over the place. He was uh, really quick. Uh, Hands were fine. It wasn't anything elite by any means. And uh, that's something that coaches a lot of times believe that they can fix. And I'm wishy-washy on that. Uh, But he was a really smart kid. Love football, was an easy kid to recruit, um, and I had a lot of high hopes for him. And he got in last year. Now, whether that was because they wanted him to or just straight necessity is a different conversation. Uh, I'm not surprised to hear him flashing. He has really high football IQ, really good route runner with real speed, um, and is a perfect slot for what they want to do in this offense. So I'm glad to hear that he's kind of taking advantage of the opportunity. He was
2: the kid that came in and there were some impossible Elijah Moore comp questions thrown impossible. out because he was you know, route runner, smaller guy, slot guy. Um, our, I, I mean, I, I fall, excuse me, spring practice last year is a long time ago in my brain, but I do remember him not being uh, you called it swimming with trigger earlier. I don't remember that being the case. I remember leaving spring last year, at least him being in the mix of playing, you know, it didn't happen a ton. You mentioned he got out there some, whether that was necessity or design, but like this year, last year we didn't know a ton about the receivers in life after Elijah Moore, so it was kind of a similar deal. And I remember his name at least being in the mix, so you know it's kind of coming along as scheduled. I think everyone would have been a little shocked if he was, you know, 900 yard guy, uh, as a true freshman in the SEC. That just doesn't happen a ton unless you're kind of a stud, but that is a guy that they have mentioned a couple of times, and that's a nice little slot option to have because. A fully healthy Mingo, you do know you have a presence on the outside. You have a decent outside receiver. And so if you can add a guy that's going to make some plays on the inside, that's just going to make your offense better with the kind of the trig wild card in the middle and then maybe throw in some Malik Heath. Like, it could all be okay. I'm just curious yeah, to what it looks like.
3: Yeah, so am I. I. I think they've got some solid options there, but it doesn't seem like they've been overly excited with the guys stepping up to being like, this is my spot. Um, whether that's because of injury or knowledge of the offense or, you know, getting just, you know, making plays. I and mean, it could be as, just as simple as that. So I, I do like the room. I am nervous about the lack of confidence kind of steaming off the coaching staffs yeah. through these practices and scrimmages.
2: At the bottom line though, like I'm trying to think of like a way to put a difference on it than last year. Do you think they have more SEC caliber receivers like guys that could be serviceable SEC receivers than they did a year ago, because just going yeah. down the line, like hell, we finally got to talk to the ghost, Mister Jalen Knox himself,
3: who hadn't. Does exist? One. He looks like he's ripped. Too. I
2: was about to say that was my uh, <laughs> that was my first end uh, first reaction was is this is this Jalen Knox or that Sean Oakman guy that became a meme for Baylor a while back? The dude is yoked. Um, Jesus, I
3: know. He's had a lot of time to work out.
2: I was about living, to say, but. good for him. Um, he had kind of a funny presser I'll get to in a second. But like it seems like they have more options. Um, I don't know much about the Robinson kid um from FSU. It sounds like you were hearing good things in the early part of camp, but as you mentioned, I think he's missed five, five, six days in a row now, which is somewhat concerning. And as you saw with um very
3: concerning.
2: Was that was it? Mark Britt last year that was kind of having a good camp and then he got hurt and that was just kind of it. Like he, he as a new guy coming in, that's that's tough to go through camp yeah. and learn a new system like that. Because he wasn't you said
1: Mark
3: Britt, Britt or Mark Robinson.
2: No, was it who was the receiver last year? The true freshman that he had a pretty good. Oh, camp. Braylon
3: Brown. That was Braylon. That's what it
2: was. Not Mark Britt. Braylon Brown.
3: Yeah, good
2: yeah. Dog. Um, but he was kind of an example last year of just how tough it is to one be a newcomer and two miss time in camp anyway not to ramble too much but it just seems like they have better options whether it's heath who's actually played in the sec before you know robinson knox has played in the sec whereas last year i remember thinking it was like all right a healthy mingo will be good outside of that what i mean drummond was what he was it was him and drummond that was was about it so it at least seems like they have some more options uh i guess we'll just get into our guy jaywin knox here i don't know if you watched his press conference but he uh he said last year, one, he had a, a lot of time to, uh, one, practice, two, focus on school. He said he found out he was, quote, good at school and that he's, quote, a smart kid. So uh, congrats to him on that. I I, I never had that realization in college. That happened. Dude, to- I didn't
3: either. That takes something.
2: That was not <laughs> exactly from the uh, Cardell Jones uh, School of Thought in terms of what you want to do when you come on campus to play college football.
1: Or Deion not- Smith.
2: He was, well, who was it? It was Coral Jones that was the, I ain't here to come play school guy. Was it, or is that someone else?
3: Yeah. 12 gauge. Okay. Yeah. Yeah.
2: That's what that I thought. I knew him. I had the right guy there. So congrats to him on that. Uh, one observation, you took my thunder there. He just is yoked. So that, that seems good. Um, and this doesn't mean a ton, but listening to him talk, he sounds like a grown Uh, And I know that seems dumb, but a lot of times you can tell, you know, when a kid's 19 going through a press conference like that versus 21, he seems like a guy that's gone through a decent bit of life in terms of college football ecosystem. And he's had a lot of time to wait. So, you know, is that a guy kind of laying in the weeds? Who the hell knows, but damn, he looks the part.
3: Yeah. I mean, it's great to hear that he's, he's getting things right and has a chance to contribute. I mean, we've only heard good things about him. That's why I always called him the ghost because you hear everything, but like, you don't know anything about him. You haven't even seen him yet. Um, So, yeah, I think from an option standpoint, he has a chance to be a really good one, but that's kind of just coming from the horse's mouth. You know, we, we have not seen it. Uh, I don't, was he even playing in the scrimmage? I don't remember. Um, uh, I do not know if he was or not over the
2: week. Yeah. I believe he was. Uh,
3: I believe he didn't hear much about it.
2: And but, he had a small injury in spring is what kept him out a little bit of spring, but he said, he's fine. Now, and then I will say, as we kind of talk about these transfer receivers, maybe I just missed it. And it's been again, again, been a couple of weeks since we did a podcast, the Louisville guy, Jordan Watkins, have you heard much of him? I haven't heard his name a lot, which I thought that was kind of a, okay, this is a guy that are going to count on next year, but I don't know.
3: Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I do get a small sense and I could be totally wrong here, uh, but I've I've been trying to, cause I, you know, I do this podcast where you read and listen to as much stuff as possible. This may be like a bigger statement than just wide receivers. I do think Kiffin is not super, super excited about some of his transfers. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that he's missing on every single one of them. I know that's not the case because the two running backs are going to be awesome. And I think Mason Brooks get a chance to be good. But I, I get this feeling – the more he talks about, like, culture and getting everybody on the same page, I think that's more a statement of some of these guys are not there yet. And they are not there yet either because the skill set is not what they thought it was going to translate to or because culturally they're not getting with the program. And I don't know why, but Jordan Watkins just seems to be one that comes to my mind. That is just a sure like – you know, from the hip from me. I do not know anything about the situation. Um, But, yeah, he was a guy that they kind of got on early, wanted him, got him quickly, and that was kind of that, one of the first um, portal guys. And you just haven't heard much from him. And when you don't hear, like, anything, whether it's from media or coaches or even just a snippet, that is usually not a good thing for a guy that came in as a semi – not even necessarily highly touted because he wasn't even the best receiver that transferred from that team, but a guy that you assumed the way they went after him was going to be an impact player. Like you said, And do know that's Completely fair. Like
2: for me not being there, he could be banged up. I remember Chase had just as I was could going be, absolutely, absolutely fall camp log, like Chase had a note on August 8th that he didn't notice him out there. I think Neil had another one on August 9th of one of the two quarterbacks hit him for a touchdown. So it could be a number of things. It could mean nothing, right? They could have 95 other problems and he's just not the one getting asked about and he's doing fine out there. Uh, as yeah. we kinda, everything we circle back to, it kind of gets to the point of like, we won't really know until these guys take the field against Troy and kind of get further into it. And so, you know, we could talk ourselves in circles about it, but at least they have guys that have division one experience and could like you know more SEC quality guys. So I'm curious to see kind of how that will shake out in its own right. We'll get back to Weldon Rodenberg in just a second. But before we do, I want to take a quick break and remind you, the podcast is also brought to you by LB's University Avenue there in Oxford. Go see Greg, absolutely the best place in Mississippi to get meat. If you're a Rippy Wright subscriber, it's RippyRights.substack.com. You get a free newsletter from me that's starting back up at the end of this week after a little summer hiatus. And you get a free newsletter from me a couple of times a week, discounted and discounted meats. Right now it's a 16-ounce prime strip for 20 bucks and a $5 pack of sausage. That's one hell of a way to kickstart your grilling weekend. Football season's around the corner. All kinds of great grilling opportunities. You need to go check them out. LB's is the best place in the Mississippi and the world, for that matter, to get meat. All kinds of delicious cuts, fresh seafood, sausages. Uh, I like the tri-tip filet burgers are always awesome. Spicy ribeye sausage is terrific. Go find your own favorites. It's a staple of the Oxford community. The best place in the world. Oxford is so lucky to have LB's. Check them out. LB's University Avenue there in Just kind of bouncing around here. I wanted to hit this piece of it. So a guy that I don't think we talked about much on this pod throughout camp yet is uh, Davison Igbenosen. um, the freshman uh, secondary Northeast New Jersey guy. You know, he's a. You talk about a frequency of, of guys mentioning him in press conferences. is like, wow, he's really popped in a super deep secondary room. He's in the mix. It sounds like he's really holding his own. Um, Do you remember much about this guy? It leads me to a larger point in a second, but I know he got on campus when you were gone. What do you remember about him, if anything?
3: Yeah, I remember, I remember him. I remember him coming up um, with his junior stuff while I was still there. And he was a hell of a player. Then I went back and watched his senior high school stuff. And I was like, I cannot believe this guy is not at like Ohio state or Michigan. I mean, he is like everything you wanted on film. And he is, maybe not like the most physically the biggest guy, but he has real range, real length, real speed. He's a hell of an athlete. played both sides. And I mean, I'm not surprised. Of all the freshmen, he's like the least surprising. That seems like a guy that's going to come in and try to play immediately. I mean, he's a prototypical length, size, speed guy to play DB for them and what they want to do, be able to play all over the place and, from all accounts has like real football IQ, which is why if you're a freshman, you can be all all world athlete, but if you don't know what the hell you're doing, it doesn't matter. Sounds like he's got both of those, which is really the complete package. And yeah, he's a hell of a player. It's pretty surprising that he's at Ole Miss, considering where he's at, playing in that league up in New Jersey. Not like he wasn't at like Paramus Catholic or one of those like monster schools, which may be why he kind of felt ish under the cracks not real. I mean, he was a highly rated player, but I mean, from the schools that were after him, Ole Miss and, and Rutgers, and I can't remember the other, maybe Tennessee. It, it is like a huge get for them. Cause he, from all accounts on the film that I watched of his highlight tape, which is obviously not the full story. It was really, really impressive.
2: And not the same position, but if he's a guy that does come in and, and play immediately, that will follow a little bit of a similar blueprint as Tashim Donson, a guy that, really from the time he got on campus, just you heard him make play after play. And then all of a sudden he became a staple on a defense that was pretty damn good through the back stretch of last year. And that's really why I bring him up. We could talk in circles about, well, what do you think he, what role he's going to play? Who the hell knows? They have six, seven corners that are really, really good. And it'll be interesting to see kind of how they use that depth and how much they rotate in and out, because I know AJ Finley's talked about, not wanting to like not having to play as many snaps would be nice. Uh, another Trey Washington mentioned that as well. Not that he yes. was a super heavy snap load guy last year, but it, it sounds like the depth is going to work to the advantage of both the starters and the guys behind them getting in the mix. But the real reason I bring up his name is I've noticed a little bit of a theme here where, you know, Northeast not necessarily known as a hotbed of football per se. Maybe I have that wrong. Um, But Partridge has repeatedly pulled kids up there that are making an impact. I mean, just off the top of my head, um, I don't. I mean, I don't know if Troy Brown counts, but that's a Michigan guy that Kirby Partridge had an eye on. You've got Aishim Young and Tashim Johnson. Obviously, Aishim Young goes through uh, Iowa State first, right? Was Iowa State or TK? Yeah, Iowa State kid. But Philly guy, Tashim Johnson, a Philly guy. Taiwan Malone, Northeast guy. Um, there's one more I was missing, but I, I can't remember who it is. It doesn't really matter. Ed
3: had Robbins, who I don't think ended up making it on the squad. Um, yeah. Um, from if, Philly.
2: If you want to give him a little bit north of the border, Tavius Robinson, a, a Canada kid, that, you know, northeast is closer. kid. Yeah. yeah, northeast is closer to Canada than uh, Mississippi is, mm-hmm. so that's been geography corner. But mm-hmm. what, is, what is it about Partridge? Because obviously he's from up there, right? He's a New Jersey native. Um, clearly a a breadth of experience of the scene of football up there, but that's a pretty high hit rate for a place that doesn't exactly just churn out recruits.
3: Yeah, it it is. He was, his knowledge, not just of the players that are up there, but the way that you recruit up there was always super, super, super impressive to me. I remember being in a staff meeting and we're going over uh, Talik and Taishim and just his discussions on like, hey, like, this is how Philadelphia works. You know, you usually kind of work through the handlers and the seven-on-seven seven guys a lot more than the, the high school coaches. And, you know, if we want Ty Sheem, he's ready to commit. But if we take it, we do not drop Philadelphia kids because you'll never recruit them again. And he's like the same kind of thing in New Jersey. Like the coaches, you go after the high school coaches a little bit more than the seven-on-seven seven guys. And they're a lot closer because it's a smaller league where they're all kind of playing each other and know each other. And like just the relationships that he had and the knowledge of how you recruit that area uh, was super impressive. And, of course, having to get them to come to Mississippi, I mean, that's just a different, you know, whole different deal in itself. It's, you know, in my opinion, it's not overly uh, smart financially and beneficial to go all the way up there. Uh, but if you've got a guy like him who just has so much knowledge and such a high hit rate, it Makes complete sense to go up there if he's if shown you know kind of like the dividends of doing it, it makes a ton of sense. If you are like LSU and Ogeron, and you go you know screw around in California and don't get any kids, it's, it's completely worthless. But uh, uh, he's been super 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 impressive. I mean, Taishin came on his own dime during COVID just to see the facilities and stuff and like couldn't even go on a visit, he just came and and hung out and, like, checked and see what it was like. And, like, could I go to school here? I don't know. So I'm just going to go check it out. I mean, that is impressive. And you know, obviously, Partridge is a huge part of that. Um, he's been great. He's a really good recruiter. He is – I've always said, like, recruiting is, like, 75% effort. And when you've got a like, guy like Partridge, he puts effort into every kid. And, you know, sometimes you'll get feedback that it's not going to work out. And he'd be like, fine, that's, that's, that's it. That, that's it. But whenever he gets kind of his his talents in a kid and, you know, there's a good relationship, it's, it's, he's hard to beat. He's really, really good at his job. He's organized. Um, he's really good at the personal relationships. He's just really, really good at what he does. And he was good at Michigan. He's uh, done a great job of bringing in some off-field guys that he trusts. that have done great. I mean, Freaking Marquise is a defensive line coach at Rutgers now, and that's Partridge and Durkin's guy. Um, that's impressive just to have a, a semi-tree like that. Uh, it, it's not easy to do. It's not even something I would do if I was recruiting at Ole Miss, because I don't think you necessarily have to. But he's he's shown over and over again that he's got the ability to do it. So you got to keep going after it.
2: Tashim was a great example, and I, I'm glad you went there, because as you were talking, I realized that we did the camp preview podcast, but Partridge actually talked uh, like a weekend or three or four days after we did that pod. And we haven't done another one since I had Michael Borkey on after that first week, just to kind of discuss things. And we hit on this a little bit, but obviously you would be kind of the guy to talk to about this is one of the things that struck me about that is I talked to Tashim for that NIL story. And like, as I've mentioned quite a few times on this pod, it's, it's weird like with that NIL thing, you just kind of get to sit on a Zoom with these dudes for an hour. Some of them definitely not lasting that long just because they're not that great of quotes. Obviously, in that scenario, I'm not looking for any sort of like juicy information to burn them. But you do kind of just get to talk with them about their path and how they got here, which I think was enlightening for a number of kids. And I was talking to Tashim about that. He'd never really been much outside of Philly. He would said, you know, he drove down with his uh, high school coach because they had the COVID thing going on. I think he wanted to do it, but I think his high school coach was like, no, if you're going to go here, you need to go see the campus type thing. And he was talking about being in a Zaxby's in Alabama and like just being kind of stunned that people in the South were friendly. He's like, people in Philly, uh, they aren't like that. Like, It's just a different <laughs> world up there, which clearly – I mean, I've been up in that part of the country as well, and he's definitely correct about that. But when I asked him about kind of what, what – like it took a lot of trust to come down to the South. You know, he kind of mentioned that – the only thing I knew about the South was, you know, not the not so great stuff in the history books type of thing. And some of the stuff you see sure. on the news and stuff like That's that. Cool. Yeah. And it goes back, he said to this trust with Chris Partridge. And I know if you're spinning a roulette wheel of cliches used in recruiting commitment stories that go on all these sites, felt like family, trusted, oh, loved yeah. the campus, facilities, whatever, <laughs> throw it on the wall and something's going to stick but it is different the way a couple of these guys have talked about Partridge. And I imagine for an 18 year old kid, that's never been to that part of the country. There has to be a real trust there. And, you know, I've talked to a couple of guys about this, not just Northeast guys, but they basically just say Partridge doesn't bullshit him. He takes the time to get to know them. He takes the time to get to know their family. He takes the time to get to know their coaches and he's completely honest with them. And I know, Everyone who's good at recruiting, they like to say that, but can you kind of paint a picture of the difference between that being cliche BS and the guys that actually do it, if that makes any sense?
3: Yeah. I mean, you, I've been around both. I mean, it's very easy to tell at least from the inside, you know, which is which. Uh, But if you're going to go and pull a kid from a non-traditional recruiting area, and you're going to do it at a high level, and then every single kid begins to say the same thing over and over again about the relationships that he's able to create, you know it's real. And uh, Partridge is no BS when it comes to coaching and when it comes to recruiting. Uh, I mean, he tries to, you know, not necessarily blur the gray lines, but he he's done his best to try to get everything out of uh, Ole Miss and what we can do and what we can do for kids like that. Um as he can. And because Michigan where he was at simply had no rules. So he, yeah. he had to be real back into the SDC a little bit and how that works, but he, he's adjusted. I mean, he's just, he's just a great guy. I mean, just from my standpoint, you know, I, when I was with Kiffin, I was working on the offensive side of the ball. So I was with Levy, you know, every single day doing recruiting stuff uh, whenever we did that. So I really didn't have a huge relationship with the defensive side. But Partridge to his credit was just like never anything but nice, respectful to me, he barely knew me, but he, I mean, he knew who I was. Cause I was on the staff, but like, I always was like, damn, like, you know, that's just a small thing that I'm not really around this guy a lot. And sure does seem like I am every time I see him at practice, every time I see him around. Um, and like, he just uses that kind of, you know, mentality when it comes to recruiting and, you know, it's always weird because, you know, you get a guy like Robbins who ends up not making it and is from Philly and you kind of think to yourself, well, maybe, you know, you could use that like a, you know, a developmental in-state kid instead of going all to Philly. But I think the opposite is really the case when you've got a guy like Partridge, you just don't have to worry about it. If you've got a guy you trust, you evaluate him correctly. If he's in Philly, if he's in Delaware, or Maryland or wherever he's got connections, I think you can just go with it. He's proven to be pretty damn
2: good at it. I was about to say, that's what's been interesting about the uh, Nosen part of it is like that to me kind of rang off an alarm bell where like the results and the, the hit rate is starting to speak for itself in that part of the country. You know, as I didn't, we talked about this Borky and I did a little bit. I don't know if you have any insight on this at all, but like in terms of last year, that Ole Miss defense, what I I forget what people used to say, Played with an edge. They used to say, like, everyone said that the second half of the season. Well, Partridge in the 10-minute presser he had at the beginning of the fall camp or whatever, I think he used the word hitting aggression for almost every other answer. Uh, He's a Don Brown guy, which if you go on Don Brown's Wikipedia, I think one of his literal patented slogans is, like, I want you to solve your problems with aggression um how much of like that identity I know Durkin's a really good DC and that spoke for itself last year but just the identity and like the physicality that Ole Miss played with last year how much credit of that would you give to a guy like Partridge and to parlay that into like a real question do you think they'll be different in that sense this year do you sense a little bit more aggression what do you think his stamp on the defense will be versus Partridge
3: yeah, I mean, I'm sure you can give a little bit of credit to Partridge. I mean, that's just kind of the attitude, and some of the players may have taken that literally and you know played with that kind of attitude. Um, I'm not so sure that the defense is going to just simply, by scheme wise, look more aggressive because Partridge is a more aggressive person. Um, I think it'll always be game plan oriented and see what the advantages they have. Um, I will say a defense always looks a lot more aggressive when the players are a lot bigger, stronger, and faster. That helps. And they definitely the past two years have been a lot bigger, stronger, and faster uh, than in the past years. So it will always definitely look better. I mean, I'll always, always remember really the first Ole Miss game I watched as a fan was my freshman year, uh, the Boise State game. Yeah, and I was like, "Holy shit, these guys are crazy!" I mean, I've like, I like—I mean, I've watched a lot of really good LSU teams, and that first half of the Boise State game was like, "This is the most insane defense I've seen ever." I mean, they are just laying these guys out left and right. And I think last year, similar kind of deal, weird scheduled game against Louisville, and you just saw Mark Robinson; these guys just smoking everybody. I was like, finally. It's taken maybe eight years to get there, but this finally looks like an Ole Miss defense that we've been used to or I was used to early in my college career. And, yeah, you can give a lot of credit to Partridge and maybe his mentality and, obviously, the ability to recruit better and more athletic players.
2: That game's a great example because anyone that just heard you say that knows what you're talking about. It's the 2014 defense. That would have been your freshman year of college. The season opener... I mean, I, I still remember a Cody Pruitt hit on that running back. I don't know if that guy is okay to this day. I think Sedarius Bryant had one in there. I mean, like the first 10 minutes of that game, you're talking about setting a, like, to use some coach speak, setting a message with physicality. Um, one team was the aggressor that night, and it was not the uh, the Boise State Broncos. That
3: no, was – no, I think that – oh, my God. I think the halftime score was like 9-0, and I'm <laughs> like, there is literally no way Boise State is winning this game. I think Bo Wallace had like – Just not his best game, at least in the first half. That kind of blew him out in the second. I was like, this game could be 45-0, to and I wouldn't know the difference. I mean, this defense is just destroying these guys. I mean, literally and physically destroying them. Um, And I think and I hope guys like Aishem Young, and it sucks with freaking targeting. I mean, like I was saying, Mark Robinson, he's just laying people out left and right. And, of course, he, like, kind of sort of smacks somebody with his face, Max, and, and gets ejected. So it will never be the same, but I think you're going to see shades of that defense. I mean, I think that defense led the country in scoring. I don't anticipate that by any stretch of the imagination, but at least from a a look and a style, some of the players kind of emulating what Elston and Sidarius Bryant and Gates and those guys were able to do.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And just if the, if there is probably one weak point in question, Mark, it's linebacker. And we discussed this the yeah. last time we were doing the pod in the preview. And it's trying to seems that way uh, still. I think they probably have some real questions. They're trying a lot of guys. You know, you've got uh, Troy Brown, Kari Coleman, new guys in there. Ashanti, Sistrunk, and Austin Keys are guys that did some good things last year but haven't played a ton of football. Um I don't know what it's going to be like. It's going to be impossible to project. I think they have some interesting options there, but I was listening to Neil and chase this morning. And I thought Neil brought up a terrific point of, you know, however that looks an off uh, at linebacker this year, what Ole Miss lost at linebacker last year is now kind of proving itself in the the, uh, NFL preseason. Like Chance Campbell is playing really well for the Titans. Mark Robinson is probably going to make the team and maybe have a role. Um, Is he Jacksonville? Is that? No, that's Snoop. No,
3: Mark Robinson's in Pittsburgh, I think.
2: That's right. And so yeah. the point being like the the transfers last year and like, you know, if 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 the two they bring in this year kind of hit at a similar rate, then okay, they're going to be fine again. But I, I just – with all the talk about the defense last year and Sam Williams and Jake Springer, I, I think just how good a converted running back in Mark Robinson and Chance Campbell were, I want to say it went undervalued because we talked about it a bunch. But that's going to be harder to replace – um, then maybe some might think because you know they were brought him in last year. Ole Miss wasn't great at linebacker the year before, like just plug and play with two more out of the portal. It didn't really work like that. They, they hit on those guys 100%. Those are a pluses, I'd imagine.
3: Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's definitely the most the position with the most concern. However, it's also the position on the defense where you can be willing to give up a little bit. Um, just because of the way that position is now valued in football. You've seen it with this defense where they'll bring in seven DBs and maybe only have one linebacker on the field. You'll see it in the NFL more. I mean, that position, defensive coordinators have slowly but surely begun to realize that we don't have to just be sitting here with a complete disadvantage while a slot receiver is on a a linebacker. If we can get a safety linebacker hybrid into the game, we're going to be just fine. And I think this defense – will be such a similar scheme to last year where the players, you know, as long as the transfers kind of get in the flow of things, we'll be able to kind of scheme around that deficiency to an extent. Um, And even then, I really do think Keys and Sistrunk are really good players. I think everything I've heard about Troy Brown is he's got a chance to be great or great to stretch, but a great addition. How about that? Um, And I think as long as they've got a guy that can signal the defense correctly, get everybody where they need to be, it, it, even if they're not as elite as last year, as good as last year, if they're solid and then the scheme and the players around them are even better, which I think they will be, I don't think it'll be that big of a drop-off in terms of the entire defense, if that makes any sense.
2: Yeah, and everything in front and behind the linebacker group, I think is probably going to be better. I know that's a little weird to say when you lose a Sam Williams, but the depth that you have, and you're certainly deeper at corner, uh, oh, here's a great topic on, I thought about this as a teaser for like first taker undisputed. Would you rather suck in the secondary or on the defensive line pass rush wise, which one's worse?
3: Oh, it's definitely worse to be bad on the line. That's no question. I mean, secondaries, I mean, if you've got a good defensive line and pass rush, I mean, that can cover up a lot of your, your secondary issues. I mean, that's why Alabama is going to be so freaking stupid this year because they've got, two of the best pass rushers in the nation on their team. I mean, some of the stuff they're going to run on the back ends is going to be so ridiculous because not only do they have good players back there, but, like, they're going to be able to rush four and throw out some just disgusting coverages. I mean, they're going to have so many interceptions this year because the quarterback's just going to throw the ball out of his hands so Will Anderson doesn't kill him. And that you definitely need to have defensive line. That's definitely – you have to be better there. I think that's
2: the right answer as well. I mean, it's obviously the right answer. I would say that's the way I was leaning too, just because from watching some battle miss defenses, it looked a hell of a lot worse when they literally could not get to the quarterback. Like You can be decent in the secondary and it still becomes a huge problem. Uh, My point in bringing that up is like, they're going to be pretty good in both. They're not clearly not going to be Alabama good, but they've got a chance to be really good. And they've got a chance to kind of have a little bit of an interior pass rush from all things in that scrimmage. JJ Pegues, who's had a great spring or spring, not spring, excuse me, camp was kind of a monster, kind of had to dial it back. And like, I can't, you know, when he comes in the press conference after and says, yeah, I got to kept having to remind myself not to hit the quarterback. Well, sounds like he had a ton of chances if that was a repeated reminder. (laughs) So they could be pretty good up there. And so if you're good on the front and the back end, like, like you mentioned, you can supplement it with the way a linebackers valued now. And if you're pretty good kind of in between those two, you can kind of mask it if that's not your strength as well, because you know, what I thought about last year of Ole Miss being good at linebacker just off the top is they were so porous against the run in 2020. Just having dudes with speed like Robinson and Campbell and being aggressive, um, I, that was the first thing I noticed about how much better. But, you know, if you're that much better on the interior defensive line, you don't have to be that good behind them. You'd like to, but it, it can work in different ways, I guess, is my point.
3: Right. No, you don't have to have guys fill in the gaps perfectly every single play in order to stop the run. I mean, and you can play more guys, I mean, with the offenses – with not only your own offense running really fast, but everyone else beginning to do that too. I mean, you have to have depth on the defensive line or by that fourth quarter, I mean, if you're only playing four or five guys, I mean, they're going to be so gassed. I mean, you saw it against Arkansas. Defensive line is gassed. So that means they can't get to the quarterback, which means DBs are covering longer and all of a sudden you're scoring 50 points on both sides. If you've got guys that can rotate, that have a consistent, maybe not just pass rush, but just pressure. That, I mean, that's huge. That's so important. And I think this is the first time they're going to have that in a long time.
2: That's really about it from everything camp-wise um, and particularly the scrimmage over the weekend. I don't think we missed any sort of major storyline. There are some other guys in the secondary that they had high praise for, but that seems to just fall in line with everything they've said. I, we, may, we may do another pod before the season starts. Actually, we probably will. But just curious, early impressions of just around the SEC and some of the early storylines going in. I know we talked a little LSU at the top. It seems like it's Alabama and then whatever the hell to make an A&M in the West. Like, what do you kind of make of how the league might shake out this year? Uh, I guess kind of starting with the West.
3: Yeah, I don't think it's going to be very fun. Um, I think this has got to be the best – preseason Alabama team in a long time Um, I think defensively they're going to be back to where they usually are which is saying something because they've always been very good but that defensive line this year I mean Jaheim Otis is going to play for them which is going to (laughs) sting a lot uh, because he's going to be an absolute freak show for them Uh, and then you're returning your Heisman quarterback you have a solid offensive line that actually last year was not very good. They've added pieces there from the portal and then recruiting. You've got a guy in Jameer Gibbs who is an absolute freak. He is—he was probably the number one running back in the portal. Evans probably being the number two one. I mean, Gibbs is, is so, so, so good. So they're going to be able to run the football. Their biggest, if any, concern is like their receiver depth is not what it usually is for them, especially the past few years. Probably not as many, you know, top 10 NFL draft picks, which is a it's a high bar to set. but That's uh, a high bar. Yeah, I mean, not even including just the revenge factor for them losing in the championship. I think they're going 12-0. I don't think they're losing a the game. Um, I think they're pretty solidified as the best team in the country and the West by a pretty wide margin, in my opinion. How much um, better not, are they than Georgia? Oh, I think they're a lot better than really? Georgia. Yeah, and I don't think George is going to take the step back that everyone thinks they will. I mean, they've still got guys in that defensive line and on that team that are really, really good, that are young. They've recruited as good as anybody. Um, I just – like and Bennett, the, he won them national championship, but this is not the defense from last year. I mean, he – all he had to do was not lose them games. I mean, it's yeah, so easy – The last year was No, I mean, it's so easy for them offensively, just schematically – to play whenever you know your defense is not going to give up two touchdowns against a team with, you know, that's not Alabama, of course. Uh, I I think they're going to have to attempt to open it up on offense a little bit more. I mean, they've got three elite tight ends. Uh, They've got good receivers. The running back room is always deep there. I just don't think it's going to be last year because simply that defense was so ridiculous. Uh, I think Alabama is a notch above them, Um, by by a decent amount i think they'd be favored by six seven on a neutral field and that's, maybe, maybe a little less
2: that's probably what you get that first weekend of december i'm guessing too just because it's you know step back or not georgia still seems so much more talented top to bottom than pretty much any other current program in the east um I don't know. I haven't looked at Florida and Tennessee's roster much yet. I did a Kentucky preview last week that'll pair up with that LSU one and kind of dove pretty hard into it. They got some real yeah. talent on there. Now, granted, they got a couple starters that kind of got phased out a little bit at Ole Miss. But that's neither kind of here nor there. They For a Kentucky team, they're pretty talented. And I just wonder, are they the second most talented team in the East? Like, I don't know what to make of Tennessee. Kentucky's probably third. Like, I don't know. Uh, I, think,
3: I think they're second. Second, so that which yeah. that, that's not a strong yeast. If that's the They're, case, that's not a knock. No, you say that they are pound for pound the best evaluating and developing team in the SEC for sure, and maybe the country. I mean, what they've done there—just uh, evaluating recruits, developing. Don't, don't call de- Barry that. <laughs> yeah, don't. God, what a shit show that is. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, uh, uh. Yeah. I mean, that that was unbelievable. But um, the team-wise, I mean, if Levis is as good as people think that he is, uh, that defense is going to be good. They are always good. And now, like, not only are they, like, coached well and schemed well, but they've got real dudes there now. I mean, they have a linebacker there that played as a true freshman who was, like, one of the only kids. Kiffin was, like, at the end of 2020, going into 21. He was one of two recruits who he was, like, we have to take this guy no matter what. The rest can be transfers, but it's with Malone, And then this linebacker from Georgia that went to Kentucky, whose name is escaping me right now, but uh, he played as a true freshman, as a monster. And that's just what they've been able to do is is find these guys and just develop them to the best of their abilities. They're a really, really tough team, and we've talked about it. Everyone's talked about it. That game on October 1st in Oxford is a huge one. Um, I, I do like Ole Miss in that game because I've seen Kiffin teams. They've just really played a lot better at home than they have on the road. Um, but Kentucky's really damn good. I think they've got a chance to be really, really solid. I think they're definitely number two in the East.
2: Yeah, I just don't know what to make of, like, the Florida thing yet. Like, I've, Napier's – there's been – Just good. wait
1: for it. Just yeah, wait I was for about it. to say. It's coming.
2: They, well, everyone was dumping on his in-state recruiting, like, a month ago, and now he's, like, the greatest recruiter that's ever hit the Sunshine State or something. Like, it's already changed. That not seem very premature and silly because, you know, in terms of, like – Saban assistants that have kind of been able to turn it into that machine-like deal—it's kind of Kirby, it's Jimbo to a degree. He seems like another guy that's of that cloth. Again, who knows? Like it—you it, know—nothing's for certain. But just a kind of a business-like, machine-like approach to building a program. What he did at ULL was incredibly impressive. And if there's another guy that's going to be kind of in, off that Saban tree that gets in that rarefied air, he seems like the most likely candidate.
3: Yeah, I, I've got full faith that Billy Napier will be very, very good at Florida. I mean, you're seeing kind of the the tea leaves already. And uh, Siski was on Neil's show, and I was really bored at work, so I was watching it, no offense to them. Uh, but he was talking about how whenever we were in the office doing recruiting that we always had uh, teams that, like, if they got offers from them, we would go and eventually get them in the system. Obviously, the goal was to offer first, but. But, you know, things happen like teams were, you know, like Washington and USC, Michigan, Ohio State, Florida State, Clemson, like non-SEC schools. And when I was in charge of creating the list and watching a lot of these guys, I personally put ULL on that list because that's how good they were at evaluating talent and recruiting under Napier. And it shows because when he left, three guys went to LSU that are now about to start. Two guys went to Florida that are about to start there. One is a preseason All-American, and that's how good he was and his staff was at evaluating and recruiting. And now he's at Florida where he doesn't have to do as much of it because it's just the name brand itself. But they haven't recruited well there in a while, and you could blame Mullen for that, I guess, if you want to because that just wasn't his thing. It's coming for him there. If he gets quarterback right, and he'll do it his way, it won't be flashy – it won't be outlandish. It won't be loud, but it, it is coming for them. Give them a year or two, and that's going to be a, they're going to be a problem again. And then Tennessee, who knows? Like that, they've done okay.
2: I don't really know. The hypo thing was a cool story last year. They were a pretty good football team, but just with the uncertainty around that program regarding some NCAA stuff, they've recruited pretty well. I just don't know what to make of them in like a year or two setting. I could. If they went seven and yeah. five and took a step back, like okay, or lateral step, whatever it is, okay. If they went nine and three, I guess it wouldn't stun me either.
3: Yeah, I like the quarterback. I like hypo a lot. Um, I don't know a whole lot about that roster. I think there's still some holes to fill because I mean they were pretty bad under Pruitt. Um, they're gonna score a lot of points and be difficult team to uh to defend, but that also like they are as fast as anybody. And I'm not sure they've got the horses on defense to deal with how fast they are on offense. Um, I mean, they're faster than Lane, but, and it's not close. I mean, they are fast, fast, fast. Um, I don't buy into the hype as much as other people do um, because I mean, Hypo's offense is like true, true Baylor. I mean, true as it gets. And um, that is, can get a little gimmicky, And when you go against real teams and real defenses and real schemes, like it it can be not easy to stop because nothing's easy to stop with SEC athletes, but there's a plan. Similar to like when you play Mike Leach, you can kind of begin to uh, create a plan on how to, how to deal with them. And I think if he's able to adjust that and do some different things, I think it's got a chance to be good next year and in the future, but I'm not buying, I don't think they're better than Kentucky. Um, And I don't think they're better than Georgia and, You know, I don't, I think they're probably a little bit more in their system than Florida. But if you tell me Florida beats them this year, I'm not going to be shocked either. I just, I'll buy Tennessee when they deserve to be bought. How about that? (laughs) That's a great way
2: to put it. We'll get into, uh, I want to get into some West stuff, but we'll get into some predictions when we do that pod right before the season starts. Um, Well, we don't need to do predictions for it because it's already happened. It is now time for the fastest growing segment on American soil. This is probably what the listeners have been waiting for this entire hour. It is soccer corner. It's been a big week in the EPL. I chirped a little bit on the board, but to be completely frank, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk shit about a game. I wasn't a hundred percent sure was going on. I do have the score alerts for the Brentford bees on the uh, ESPN <laughs> app. Um, what we each team has played two matches. What's up with man United. I mean, not even just the Brentford piece of it. Look when you you lose four, nothing to Brentford. Like that doesn't seem great for a club like man United, but just the, I mean, I was just looking online on Twitter and stuff. The negativity, even from dudes that, like, cover the team, it, it seems like a dumpster fire through, you know, two matches. That doesn't seem great. What, what's happening there?
3: Well, I think the whole point is that it's not just been a dumpster fire between the two matches. It's been the dumpster fire for eight to ten years from the, except from the standards of what it should be. I mean, it goes back to the way the Glazers have just treated – the the team, the club, the way they bought it is you know, they they bought this team with debt. They took out six hundred million pounds of debt. And to this day, that debt is still six hundred million pounds. And you simply I That's mean not great. you you actually you physically cannot buy professional franchises like that anymore. Of course, you'll have debt facilities through banks to you know figure out your four billion dollar purchase of the Broncos like the Waltons did, but to buy the majority of a team off of a loan is just not it's unheard of it's just not the practice anymore and whereas other teams are putting money the owners are putting money into the club the owners are facilitating the transfers united owners are taking money out of the club and using profit and revenues to facilitate transfers and that dries up eventually i mean covid was a huge hit to a lot of these teams So now what you're seeing and what you saw on Sunday is a culmination of what's been happening since Alex Ferguson left, which, if you don't know, is basically the guy that held that entire franchise together while the Glazers behind the scenes ruined it. Um, it it's so bad. I mean, they so you, have you, 11 players on the f-
2: Like, I, I, that, that is fascinating you brought that up. You know, in a world of soccer where owners everything, Saudi Castle, we, we've covered that, are they just not – they don't have the means to spend – anymore like that the, the uh, other elite clubs
3: do or is it more than that it's so complicated um especially when it comes to this club because they have had the money to spend it's the way they've spent it is way much much worse than their actual financial abilities i mean i saw actually on, today on twitter i'm gonna try to pull it up if i can uh gary neville is a former player who now works for sky sports he's kind of become like a A personality in soccer, and he went over the major signings for Manchester United in the summer and winter windows since 2013. And he graded them. He was like how they did and how they went. It's a list of about 40 players that they've, you know, been major signings for them. He has listed two as good and green. Two. And of the two percentage. So Zlatan Ibrahimović, who basically played for one year and was really good and then was not good the next. And then Bruno Fernandez, who is on this team currently, who has been a really bad player for, like, about a half a year, a year now. Like, he is trending completely downward. So basically one. Then he's got, like, five or six that are amber, he called it, or yellow. And those guys, you know, depending on how you feel, could either be good signings or bad signings. The majority are just fine. And then he has about 25 that are red. And then of course, of this entire list of maybe 30 players, you know, you can debate some of like the way he thinks about some of them. There has been one player that has been sold bought and sold for a profit on this list of about 31. And that, that is the microcosm of the issues that you saw kind of just become on Sunday is They just do shit business and they've done it shit business for 10 years now. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, you look at teams, I mean, Chelsea and Tottenham, that Chelsea team, like, just from a, I guess, what they could be, their ability to win the league. I don't know. They are five subs of Premier League quality players deep. And I don't think United has five premier league League quality players in the starting lineup. That's just what they're at right now. It's so, 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 so bad.
2: So how bad is this? Because at the same time, my limited knowledge, I've I've followed this for a whole like 11 months now. What, like at the same time they shouldn't be getting beaten four to nothing by a club like Brentford, right? Bad signings in town aside. So like, it sounds like it's just compiling. I can't remember where I read this, and I can't. Y'all have it's Ronaldo, right? He's on Manchester United. That is correct. He, I read from whatever the British version of Adam Schefter is on ESPN today <laughs> that that he's kind of like. I mean, it it, it had the story it had the structure of the disgruntled NBA superstar, yeah, um, thing where he's putting out feelers about like how maybe he wants to get traded or loaned, whatever the the term is over there. He definitely doesn't want to be there. Uh, there were some rumors that about them just giving him the 37 million or cutting him or whatever it is and letting him sign for whoever else is he like the toxic vet. Like this seems very Russell Westbrookian in terms of like chemistry. Is he a problem or is this overblown?
3: No, he's definitely a problem. Okay. You know, he, he's such a conundrum because last year he came back and there were so many people like super excited to be included because, you know, it's Cristiano Ronaldo and he's back at United where he started And this is going to be great. But the conundrum was is that he's just he scores goals. But is he actually making your team better? Of course, he is by the result. But is he like from a schematic standpoint with a new coach? Like, does he actually fit? Because Ten Hag, he's a guy from Ajax. They play a pretty aggressive style of pressing offensive, you know, soccer. And he's 37 years old. He cannot be running around pressing people for an entire game. And he wanted to leave. And he's basically said that, not necessarily publicly, but it's been known. And Tinog was like, No, like I think I can make this work. And I think he's now realizing no, this is definitely not going to work. This guy just is not getting it. And he's such a a force, you know, it's honestly disrespectful to even compare him to Westbrook because this guy's this guy's LeBron. But, you know, LeBron, you know, when he gets on his you know high horse and you've seen it with the Lakers the past few years, he can be a pain in the ass, too. And the young guys, whether it's a good or bad example, follow him. And you've seen that with United. These players, they've been here for so many years. And Ronaldo came in and, and facilitated winning by goals. But it's definitely hurt in terms of their ability to have any fucking pride in the way they play, because. Ronaldo was a joke on Sunday or Saturday, whenever that was. I mean, he was just not even relevant in the game.
2: How bad does this get? Like, does this end up in a change of ownership in terms of this year? I joked with you on Twitter about relegation. That can't <laughs> actually be in the cards. But like, how, how, how low does this club stoop? Like, in well, terms, literally just put a finish on it. Could they finish like ninth or tenth? Like, how bad could this get?
3: I mean, European football is completely out of the question. This team is not finishing in the top four, and they're probably not finishing the top six. Wow. Um, you know, depending on, like, it, whether they sign four or five players in the next two weeks and then another four or five players in the next, you know, winter transfer window, I, I just don't see it happening. Um, I don't know how bad it can get. <laughs> it, it's It's tough to say. I mean, these guys – have like literally no pride when they play. And if they're unable to sign a few players before this window ends and like revamp some of the depth, I mean, I'm not there yet, but they are They are getting close. It's so early, but if they do not sign players, they will definitely be towards the bottom of this league and really playing some sketchy, sketchy games towards the end. Because um, this team is not – This it's not a top 10 team, it's not a top 15 team. And the guys that have come up, Fulham, Nottingham Forest, and Bournemouth, they're not fucking around. I mean, I was about to go there. Yeah, they're not fucking around. They're really solid quality teams of which who have bought really solid quality players. I mean, Nottingham Forest has signed 13, 14, 15 guys literally in this window. I mean, they're taking their shot to stay up. If United doesn't figure it out, I mean, there will be no gimme games. They've had two to start off the year. Technically, for them, they should be. And they've kind of gotten their ass kicked in both.
2: Yeah, so I actually on Sunday, as I was packing up my apartment in Dallas and, like, actually getting this move underway, I watched Nottingham Forest and West Ham. And I believe it was at Nottingham Forest. They were obviously in the – what is it, Championship League last year. Uh, They get promoted – and they got their first win in the Premier League, so all the British dudes looked— dry. a couple of guys with their shirts off— like it was, it was quite the scene. Um, that was the game, the match. Excuse me, that was on before uh, Tottenham and Chelsea, which was quite the wild ride in its own right. That was actually a nice little Sunday there. Yeah. Uh, as I was getting stuff done around the house, but point being, uh, one in between the the Tottenham Chelsea game, they had you know the British Charles Barkley on like on Sky Sports, whatever, whoever it is, it might be the guy you were talking about. Uh, bald fella he was talking about like the depth of the league to where like there is no like Norwich City to where like these teams that come in like your typical yo-yo clubs like you just mentioned they're actually pretty good whereas I know it's only like two matches but outside of United the teams that are like oh and oh and two is Everton West Ham uh West Ham like like even clubs that I've heard of not actually really knowing a ton about the soccer thing so like like it seems like the depth of it is, uh, could lead to them falling further than it looks. I mean, look, they're in 20th out of 20 now. I'd probably not stay in that way, but it, it doesn't seem like it's going to get much easier for, uh, Man United there. So, what to wrap that up before we get to a couple of things to get here. Do you just sell the team? Like, do they do the angry Brits make them sell it? How does that work?
3: Well, I mean, there's rumors of some guys coming up with some hostile takeover bids. I oh, mean, I love this. I love it. I, I hope something. That's just happens a great like, business term. I love just saying <laughs> hostile takeover. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it just depends. I mean, I don't know. Maybe the Glazers. I mean, obviously they own multiple sports franchises, and though it probably is not, you know, this is this is one of the most important ones they own, if not the most important. You know, for them, it's probably the Buccaneers. Understandably. But this is a, a worldwide deal. I mean, this is it's valued at way higher than the bucks would be. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't know what's going to happen. I mean, it's their the guys that they've hired to run the recruitment, to run the development, to run everything has just been a total nightmare for a long, long, long time. Do they eventually like see the fans? I mean, they're supposed to be a walkout against Liverpool next Monday. Really. Where- I yes, love. But, the, we're two matches in, and they, I love they, the British people. It's, don't, it's really not two matches in. This is a yeah, yeah. You're right. You're it, right. It's it's years and years and years of dealing with this. And uh, Valencia had this thing where the, the the fans like just didn't go in the stadium for the game. They just stood outside. And there's they're playing a full game with like 2,000 fans in there, and there's like 40,000 around the stadium. That's the concept. Will that actually happen? I don't know. But yeah, I mean, there's a lot of revolt. And it's such a unique deal because the owners and the of these teams, the way that soccer is formatted, they're so important. They they handle everything. And of course, in the NFL is the same way. The lions have sucked forever. Good ownership, like you have with like the Packers and the Patriots, they're good, but there's a salary cap. Right. In in football, there's no college football, there's no draft. It's all from the young through the main team. And if you have bad ownership. Bad, you know, technical teams, bad recruitment. I mean, that is your, you're done, you're screwed, you're, you're going to be really, really bad. And right now United is really, really bad at basically everything. They have done nothing right. And yeah, I mean, I would imagine there's going to be people seeing that, seeing what it could be and being like, yeah, I'll pay what it can, but if they don't sell, it doesn't matter. So I don't know what's going to happen. I'll keep my eye out on a hostile takeover. That might be the Saudi
2: castle replacement storyline this year. Well, no,
3: it's funny you say that. Supposedly the Saudis who ended up buying Newcastle put in a bid to buy half of Manchester United. And the Glazers said, no. I was
2: about to ask, would someone eventually from the EPL step in and be like, look, we already have too much Saudi in here. Like we, we can't have two like pretty marquee clubs just being run by the Saudis here. Like, you know, I don't even know what you would call that. Do you call that the English Live League? That that seems like too much Saudi flavor. But um, I'm fascinated to see how that plays out. I'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this Tottenham-Chelsea deal. The draw, 2-2. They score in the final minute. Looks like in classic European soccer fashion, there was a hair pull. You had coaches getting into it, holding each other's hand too long at the time. What did you make of this? I know this was a big point for Tottenham, but don't Tottenham celebrate uh, kind of prematurely about stuff. What did you make of this, how this all went down?
3: Well, I mean, there are two teams that have really bolstered their team over the summer with really smart, good signings by really smart, good teams and ownership. Uh, I, I got to watch a, a solid amount of this game. Uh, Chelsea really from every aspect except for the score, in my opinion, dominated. Uh, they looked just way better. I mean, they're at home, so it makes sense. Uh He's kind of a weird for all that long. He's got some drama, but like tactically and game plan wise, he's always been one of the better ones. And they came out with literally the perfect plan and kind of took it to him. But Tottenham, I mean, when you've got the top three, they have, which might be the best three in the whole league with Kane and Son and Kulisewski And they've added so many depth pieces. They came back, they played really, really, really well. And Conte is, He's been all over the place as well. He's as good as they get. Uh, it was an awesome game. It was – I'm not surprised those two got into it. Conte is a fiery, fiery, fiery fucker. He, he's cr- he's kind of crazy. Uh, I think he's, like, actually attempted to box some of his players when he was at Inter Milan. Like, he is oh, – yeah. really, You know, classic Italian. Um, a clashing of styles a little bit. I mean, it was an awesome game. Two really good teams. Um. I liked what I saw It's it, That's like the best of the premier league is when it the was two a lot of fun teams. to watch. It is like, I've always like, that's like exactly what you want on that. Like Sunday end game is like yeah. the two best teams. They always put the best game, kind of that Sunday, 10 30 slot. And almost always it comes out being a classic. And that one definitely was.
2: And I, what I like is, so I know that was like, what do they call that? The battle for London. Um, I yeah, like the fact that you, what you don't get in professional, uh, like American football, there was a Tottenham section to the left of one of the goals. So, like, you actually kind of get, like, the college football-style away section, which was kind of both funny and hilarious. The crowd shots in that were classic. I mean, it was everything from the most classic-looking British fellas of all time to just some fat guy just going man boobs flying around with his shirt off. Clearly had been in the pubs before the game, whatever time that was. The crowd shots were awesome. It was a fun game. Uh, so when the coaches get red cards, what what does that mean? Are they just done for a match? Like how does that yeah, work? Yeah,
3: I don't I don't think I think if if they both got red cards, they don't get to coach the next game.
2: Somebody got
3: one. I don't know if it was. I think Tuchel Tuchel got one. I believe is he uh, the one that rightfully should have gotten it? The one that just wouldn't let the hand go because that was yeah, there. He's the taller guy, the German guy who was like running across the field after they scored that second goal. Um, he, I think he got one, so he can't go play against Leeds next week, or can't go coach against Leeds next next week. But it's just classic two teams that, like, I mean, Chelsea, like we talked about, I mean they have brand new ownership, brand new, and they have been as aggressive as any team, you know, signing players. You know, United has been able to sign like one backup, and Chelsea has like four new starters, and to replace the four guys who started last year, who are still capable of starting a game, if they need to. It's just two clubs with like ownership and everybody aligned correctly. Like Brian Kelly always says, alignment. You know those guys have it, and they have it off a of brand new ownership because their freaking other guy was in war against Ukraine. <laughs> I mean, it's he's a Russian oligarch. And they had to get a new one, and it's just it's just crazy how simple it looks from the outside. It's it, it's sad.
2: It really is. Anything, I have one more thing after I ask this, but anything that you've seen through two matches, I know you were saying Man City is just ridiculously favored. Vegas odds reflect this. Is anything you've seen change that anyone's challenging them?
3: No, I would say City is the best team by far. If you can find odds under minus 200 for them to win the whole thing, I would bankroll it. I mean, it's over already, in my opinion. I don't think, because I watched Liverpool today and, they, I mean, they're still really good. They're gonna be good. Klopp is as good as they get, and they're probably the second best team. But they sold Sadio Mane. They bought this Darwin U.S. Nunez guy from Benfica, who's I really like him, but he hasn't gelled exactly yet. They've got injuries. I, I just I think they got worse, and City somehow got better. Um, I, I think this is a one-horse race at least early. I think things could change. Arsenal, doing really good business, bought two City players, um, and they have both started and done incredibly well. They look pretty dynamic. Uh, I watched the All or Nothing. I haven't finished it yet, but I like everything about what they're doing right now. Arteta seems to really be a good coach and have a really good understanding of what they're trying to do. And though their owners, the Cronkies, aren't necessarily the best, at least they've got a presence over there in London. It sounds like their estranged son or something is over there. He looks like – I don't even know what he looks like. But if you watch the show, he, he just looks like an asshole. But he's over there doing stuff. <laughs> Is this a
2: soccer hard knocks type of deal?
3: Yeah, it's, it's so good. They have like four or five seasons of it on Amazon Prime. It's called – it's all or nothing. And okay. they, they do different clubs. They've done a city, Tottenham, uh, Juventus, Arsenal. I think they even did the Brazilian national team, but it was all in Portuguese. I couldn't watch it. Uh, yeah, it's really yeah. cool it's it's like a really cool, it's only like 45 minutes same thing as hard knocks but they do way better than hard knocks it's way more you actually learn things i mean you're in every single post-match locker room you're in every single practice they, they do a really really good job but they're, yeah it won't matter because city's gonna win the whole thing they're just
2: more liberal and i don't mean this in like a political sense they're more liberal about like I say liberal, aggressive, like media can go wherever they take pot shots from their columns and stuff like the media is way more tenacious there. And so I imagine that would lend itself to being a little more liberal where you can stick a camera um, in some sort of behind the scenes deal. Like the the Euros just seem to give to give less of a damn when it comes to one criticism, two the way they ask questions to the managers is hilarious. Like you have to somehow like in the US, like they're in,
3: assholes. Yeah, like, exactly.
2: They they just they don't are absolute assholes. So I could see yeah. how it's done better because you just unlimited access. Hey, you said something. Sorry, like this is going on the dock. Um so last thing, um, the real life Ted Lasso, the guy for Leeds, he was kind of the story, one of the storylines on the last day of the Premier League last year, because he kept them up in the Premier League and he's drinking the British beer and like in like just celebrating they've won a match and drawn one they are like as the as the, in all technical sense they are sixth. that is that is that something to monitor in terms of kind of like a not a cinderella story because i don't think they'll win the league but a, no. a market improvement for a club that was almost relegated i don't know yeah. much about leads at all other than the guys american
3: they're they're like have a very long history of being very good and okay. they went through a tumultuous financial situation a few years back and They've been bought and kind of changed the whole dynamic, got up uh, back into the Premier League, and they've really kind of taken form. They had, a like, a legendary coach, Bielsa, this Argentinian guy. I think he's Argentinian, who was known for, like, this really high-pressing, high, you know, basically anxiety style of football where everyone's running all over the place. And Marsh, the guy who's the coach now, Jesse Marsh, the American, is kind of of the same breed where they, they play – What's the best way? I guess the best way to explain the way that they play is like the VCU havoc half court yeah. defense. You remember that? That's like how Leeds play soccer. I mean, they are all up in your business, pressing you to the goalie. They are running, they are sprinting. It's not possession base. It is just all out, just effort. And they signed two Americans. I mean, they're a full American squad there. Love that. Uh, and Aronson and, and uh, Tyler Adams and, they uh, – they're a lot of fun to watch. That If, like, you wanted to find a team that's like, I want to find a fun team, whether they suck or good, Leeds is an absolute blast to watch. I mean, it is an anxiety attack at how much they are just running around and kicking the ball around. Uh, but, yeah, they're definitely a team to watch. They know exactly who they are, and they play exactly the way they're supposed to, whether they're going to be better than other teams because of just sheer talent is a different story. But they definitely have an identity, which is – very, very important for the coach who, you know, he's American. He's not going to get the benefit of the doubt, but they're playing really well so far.
2: I would love to see Uncle Sam take over the Premier League, where a team of just a bunch of American flavor knows exactly who they are, maybe a little arrogance, just start ruffling feathers across the pond. This Hell has yeah. been Soccer Corner, the fastest-growing segment on American soil. He is Weldon Rodenberg. I appreciate the time, as always, my man. And uh, we'll do one more of these for this uh, season gets rolling, but it's, uh, it's coming up. I appreciate it.
3: Yeah, man, no problem.
2: All right, that is our show. If you made it to the end, I appreciate you making this podcast a part of your day. As always, looking forward to another great football season. I know I kind of said it last week when we introduced Buchanan. If you haven't listened to that episode, I encourage you to do that. Ryan Buchanan going to be a regular contributor on the podcast this year. I was telling Weldon right before we started recording, I felt like I was missing one thing last year. Weldon and I kind of did our thing on Sundays, and the way that took off and the way that was received was – really just awesome and kind of mind-blowing to watch but we had the opponent previews mid like in the middle of the week last season I felt like we were just missing something I'd have to call Weldon out of the bullpen last minute to do kind of a halfway preview would it go on Thursday Friday point being I think we got this locked and loaded and we're ready to head to the top this year between Weldon and I on Sundays and Buchanan and I in the midweek I think uh we're gonna have a great football season from a content standpoint and I'm really pleased at how that turned out um, I don't know if I could have found two better co-hosts so anyway Looking forward to that. It's going to be a great season as uh, we're getting settled in here in Oxford. Might have a place to live here soon and uh, getting geared up for what should be a, uh, a really fun fall. So anyway, I appreciate you guys making this podcast a part of your routine, a part of your week. And uh, we'll have some an opponent preview stuff here coming for to you in the next day or two. So stay tuned to that and we will catch you soon.
4: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium?